Hello. Now, this is episode five of season seven. So season seven, it's called The Stages of Home Construction, and we are diving into the process of home construction for both new builds and renovations so you can feel informed as your project gets built. We'll be looking at the what the when, the who and the how of each stage, and we'll be giving you loads of helpful cost-saving and stress-saving ideas and information along the way. Now, this episode, we move on to the next stage of construction, and this is the lock-up or enclose stage. And this is where your home gets made watertight, ideally. So, in fact, all construction is, is racing. It's really moving and progressing to get to this point so that work can occur undercover and you're not potentially delayed by rain and your home can actually protect it from the elements. So we're going to be going through this episode, this information across two episodes and this episode is part one of this stage. Now this stage can involve so many steps, so many tradespeople and there's also really significant opportunities to save money uh, and to be really, you know, strategic about it if it's run well. So Dwayne and I will talk through these steps and these strategies. We'll both share our personal experience. And so you can really see what you can expect from your builder in their communication and their planning. Now, some terminology to familiarise yourself with if this is the first episode in this season that you're diving into. Dwayne and I refer a lot to drawers during this season. Now, we're not meaning the drawers that you keep your socks in. A drawer is actually a payment on the building contract. So when you sign a contract with a builder, a builder will actually identify a series of drawers or progress claims or progress payments. And as work on your project is completed, the builder will submit an invoice for that drawer draw, identifying the work that has been completed and asking you to pay for it. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into the podcast episode, I want to share with you some exciting information about an online program that I've launched in collaboration with this season of the podcast, and it's available for you to access now. The program is called Manage Your Build, and it's all about helping you navigate the construction of your new home or renovation with sanity, feeling confident and informed. If you want to be better informed about what's happening during the construction of your home or understand what you can expect of your builder or of the contract and, you know, whether you're getting what you've paid for, then Manage Your Build is designed to simplify this for you. Manage Your Build will give you key knowledge, tools, cheat sheets, industry insider checklists and tips, plus strategies to save your sanity and budget as well. This online program can support you, help you avoid expensive mistakes and drama and put you in the driver's seat, feeling confident during the construction of your new home or renovation. So if you want to check it out, head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash manage your build. There's more information there about what's inside the program, what it includes and how it can support you and save you stress and money as you navigate the construction 
construction of your renovation or new home and actually make the process enjoyable for you. So head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash manage your build. Duane, we've been talking, obviously, we're up to the point now where we've uh, done our slab or our floor structure, we've done our framed uh, structure for our walls, any upper floors, right up to the roof and the roof is framed. We've got the skeleton of our house standing there and it's, I know for homeowners, it's a really exciting stage because they can actually see, wow, this is what my, my home is going to start looking like. I can start to get an impression of the spaces and how things are going to be feeling and arranged. The, the race is really on, though, to get the house watertight and make sure that it's uh, able to be a protected environment so that work can continue regardless of the weather. So this stage, obviously, uh, that we're going to be talking about, and we'll be splitting it up over two episodes because it is a chunky stage of the construction process, is called lock-up or enclosed stage. And it can be referred to both of those names depending on how the builder uses that terminology. Can we just talk first a bit, because I know there's a bit of difference between what lock-up means and what enclosed means that can cause some problems with your bank and the drawers. Can you explain to me just, you know, sort of simply what the difference is between lock-up and enclosed? Um, so, look, it really comes back to that standard five, six draw, like the old days, um, set out of the payments. Um, these days, builders break it up a lot more, so lock-up's pretty straightforward. It means the house is locked up, no one can get in it, so... Generally, the roof will be on, all external windows and doors in, um, insulation, brickwork, cladding, like a locked-up structure that no one can get into. But because these days builders are breaking their drawers up into a lot more stages, um, some builders, and, and I know we do, will add in what we call an enclosed stage, which still isn't quite to lock up, but it's an enclosed building. So so watertight, um, but not necessarily secure. Is yeah, that sort of the difference? Yeah, pretty much Tight, so it'll, it'll, again, it'll have the roof on, it'll have all the external doors and windows in. Sometimes there might be a few special order um, large doors or windows that may be not in yet, but generally it'll just have the sarking or the building paper on. Like the, There may be a little bit of cladding done. but And look, the main reason for that, I think, is obviously to, to spread the drawers out, help cash flow, help owners see what's getting done better each drawer. But also when you start getting into the custom and architectural homes, things have to happen in a certain process. So there might be certain material or, or a trade that takes a lot longer and, and um, slows you down from getting a house to lock up. So you put an enclosed drawer in so that, you, again, you can help that cash flow. Got you. Okay. And so if we, it, I think it's then it's really clear that as a homeowner, when you're looking at those drawers in your contract, that you do understand, you know, because I think a homeowner would look at the word enclosed and think, well, that means that I have a house that's pretty much, you know, secure and, and they wouldn't expect necessarily that that might mean it doesn't have cladding or an external wall material on the outside but just has the building paper. So I think, you know, for listeners to understand that when you see that terminology, really understand what that means and also make sure that your bank understands so that they don't turn up on site and say, well, we're not paying this because this is only so far we expect at this stage for the building to be fully secured for every door and window to be on the home, um, we're not going to pay this chunk of money yet. So I think it's really good as uh, to understand that difference. Now, we, we mentioned you know, up front that this is about getting the house, obviously, that it pr- is protected from the elements. So the first thing, once the framing is all up, is obviously getting that 
sarking and that roofing on. So sarking is the is the paper that goes over first. It's just, it's just a building wrap. It's a it's a lightweight paper. It, it helps a little bit with insulation, but it's it's really just another a barrier to stop weather getting into the home, but also catch weather. So so what most people don't realise is is brickwork and and a lot of claddings are porous. So a lot of cladding systems are designed with a cavity. Um, that cavity is behind the cladding, and so between the cladding and the building paper. So the building paper needs to be put on correctly, make sure all the laps lap correctly so that any moisture that does get through the outside surface hits that building paper, runs down the wall and out the weep hole. So. But with, with the enclosed stages, it's definitely changed a lot on our jobs. Like It, it completely depends on the type of job. Like So we may have all the brickwork or all the cladding done, but we might be waiting on a, a custom-made front door or a or a large sky frame sliding door or something like that. So, look, I think that that enclosed stage is just, it, it doesn't mean lock-up, so it's just another way for a builder to add in another drawer and hopefully, obviously, help the cash flow without having to get it to that lock-up drawer. And I think, you know, that, that conversation about the building paper and the importance of getting the building paper done well is really important because it is it's quite surprising for people that they don't understand that their external cladding line is not the last line of defense you know <laughs> for their homes yeah. sort of to protect themselves against the weather and so that that sarking does have a bit of insulative quality but obviously uh, if you're doing bulk insulation so bats or anything like that that will come in later after you've done this sort of step of the process so you get your sarking on the roof you get your roofing down the fascias and the gutters and those types of things, I know that sometimes they've gone on at framing stage. Sometimes, depending on the material choice, they might go on at this stage. What sort of drives the difference with where they might sit in the process? Because sometimes you've obviously got timber fascias and gutters. Other times you've got metal fascias. And, and, and you know, how does that sort of all work in? Uh, look, generally, the fascia and gutter will always go on before the roof. I would say 80 to 90% of homes, it, it's always on. So the normally... Once all the roof's ready and it's had its frame inspection, it's passed by the engineer, so it's safe to for other trades to get up and work on there. Generally, the roof roof battens and all timber battens, if it's a tiled roof, and the fascia and gutter will all go on. Generally, there's a lot of the time the same day or within a couple of days, and then the roof goes on. The only time where that might be a little bit out of the ordinary is if, again, if it's a custom or, or architectural home, it might have some custom-made fascias or some, some sort of out-there parapets, the wall or, wraps that we love to do with the continuous. <laughs> yeah, so it, it might yeah. have a, a, a fascia that yeah gets used as a as a feature and, and wraps down a wall to and to the yeah to the footing or around a window or like there's, there's a few different scenarios there and so those types of things the roof would generally go on get it all water, watertight the cladding would go on and then those finishing fascias would get put on towards the end. Just, um, that that also can affect the bank as well. So it's it's definitely not uncommon for the bank to come out say for a lockup drawer and there might be a feature wrap around fascia so you've you've completed 98% of that lockup drawer but there might be like this $2000 piece of fascia that hasn't been completed and, and they they just won't pay the entire drawer because they don't understand the building process and how how things have to go together so yeah, it can be pretty frustrating. And so I think, you know, we spoke at the very beginning of the season about the importance of showing your contract to the bank, making sure that, you know, you get some information to know that the bank has seen it. Oh, definitely. Look, I, I think it's really important. Nine out of ten people now go through brokers. So um, a lot of the time there's a quick flick through the drawers the builders put there, the final figure, that's all they're really worried about. So 
going back to your bank in the early stages and and asking the bank and and if it's a broker get the broker to ask the bank or the, or the lender what are, what are their requirements going to be every time you put a draw in so that right off the bat everybody's clear on what has to happen so and and a lot of time that can that may affect the time period that you put in your contract um, that draws are to be scheduled if you get that out of the way first because if, if, most builders will try and put five business days if the bank comes back and says in terms look, of the payment terms on the draw is that what you mean yeah yep. yeah so a lot of a lot of banks will come back and say look we need seven like can we just change that to seven so look it's, it's not a drama you just change it on the contract and away you go but getting all that stuff out of the way at the beginning can save a lot of time. And particularly too, for a builder to know, obviously, that if the bank is insisting that they're going to send somebody out to check the work has been completed to a point, you might find if you're working with an architect or a project manager that, you know, the the draw will be presented from the builder to them. They'll need to do their check to make sure that the draw is justified for the work that's been happening on site and any orders that have been placed. So the architect then or project manager then makes their recommendation that the draw is to be paid. That draw then needs to go to the bank and the bank might need to do their inspection as well. Yeah. You can imagine in that time frame, you know, somewhere along the lines, the builder is obviously having to put time aside to either walk the architect through or walk the bank person through. That's taking up time of the builder being away from actually doing the work. Meanwhile, the builders outlaid all this cash. They're waiting for the bank to actually pay their bill. If the inspector's not available at a certain time, like it can, you can, you can see how very quickly a week could blow out to being three weeks. Oh, look! And, a, and meanwhile, the builders covering all of the cash. So yeah, look on on a, a an architectural job where it's getting administered by the architect, it it can blow out very easily. They um and and that's another conversation that I think should be had early on with the architect just to explain to them the process that has to occur. So look, generally on those types of jobs, um, they're, they're more so done on the 14-day or 21-day payments type setup. So Oh, on that method C where you're asking for a payment every two or three weeks, yep. Yeah, and like when they're administered by an architect, the banks seem to be a lot happier with that um, that process. But on those types of jobs, when every time you put a drawer in, you have to, so you have to give the architect a, a breakdown of um, all trades and supplies and materials at the beginning of the job. And then every time you put a drawer in, generally you have to claim a percentage of that. So it'll be a, if if it was the stage we're talking about now, for instance, it would be like all your frame, like framing 100%, roof trusses 100%, roof 100%, scaffolding 20%. So that the architect can come out and do an inspection and clearly see, all oh, right, well, yeah, that that is what you've done. So yeah, like you said, by the time we put that drawer in, the architect then scheduled it schedule it into his diary. Um, you've or got her to, diary, yep. Or her diary. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you've got to have a site meeting, you, know, you walk through the project, they've then got to go back to their office. And look, we've, we've had those type draws easily go out to three to four weeks. We just need, and again, it's all about communication. We just make it very clear to them that depending on the stage of a job, four weeks can be a lot of money. So if they take four weeks to sign off on a slab draw and the and you go straight onto the framing, like you in that four weeks, you might accumulate another two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars worth of materials and labour. So it, it adds it's up pretty a, quickly. Yeah, that's a lot to be out of pocket waiting for the last bill to be paid. And so, you know, I think you, you know, listeners could really identify that just how how stable and how much cash flow a builder has to have behind them to juggle that sensibly, and how how it's important that everybody in that process is proactive. But we do want to talk about, so we've talked obviously the frame is up, 
trusses are on, the sarking, the building paper goes uh, on the roof, roofing goes on, building paper goes around the walls and windows and doors go in and we also start doing rough-ins. So windows and doors we spoke about in a previous episode about when they might be actually measured and made and how that can change depending on whether you're using pre-made frames or you're using custom windows and doors and that whole process of whether there's a site measure for, uh, say, an oddly shaped window that has to wait till the frame is built or whether the window is st- has started fabrication back at the same time as the frames have so that then it's literally going in as soon as the frames are up and, and have been inspected and signed off. It's worth understanding, I think, for people that the windows and doors are actually attached to the frame. They're not attached to the cladding. So, <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. So I, I have had members inside my online programs who get very into the nitty gritty and detailing and they start to try and understand about window reveals and that sort of detailing. You know, windows come on site with the timber reveal around them. So they literally get slotted into the frame, if you don't want an architrave around your window, so the, the picture frame style of timber around your window on the inside of the house, that changes the type of window setup you have to order. You right. don't get it made with the reveal on it. So all of those types of things are really important to make decisions about very early on. If you want square set everything in your house, that means your windows and doors will be ordered differently, doesn't it? Because sure it does. So... They get fixed into the frame. They then the cladding is basically weatherproofed to them to make sure that the water, any water that enters anywhere, is always hitting the building paper and running out as that last line of defence. Can we talk about about rough-ins because I think that's a really big area of confusion for people. So, can you talk through to me what actually happens in that rough-in process? Who's involved? What does that look like on site? It's a quite a big stage. There's a lot of trades going on on site. Ideally, they're they're spread out over a few days or a few weeks, but definitely super super important, as we keep saying, to make sure your selections are done well before this stage. Like ideally, all signed off prior to the slab going down. Plumbing is one of the rough-ins. So the plumber will come in. He'll run all your pipe work through your wall frames and. Or she. Or she. I'm going to keep correcting you. <laughs> yeah. They, um, so they'll run all the pipe work through the walls, the ceiling, set everything up for all your taps, showers, basins, hot water, kitchen, and any of your wet areas, basically external showers, external hose taps. And a lot of people don't realise that. So so basically um, the, the frame, the slab's gone down, it's got the penetrations of the pipework coming through it in the locations that it needs to enter the house. Yep. So you'll look at a bathroom. For waste. For waste, yeah. Yep. And uh, like generally the, the only water penetration of the slab would be if you an island bench or um, something out of the ordinary. Yeah. So you'll see that basically your slab, it'll have little holes in the, where the plastic pipes are, PVC pipes are sort of poking through in different locations. The yep. frame will go on. The frame will have been cut to bring that pipe work that's sitting out of the slab through the frame. And then that rough-in stage is the plumber then coming through and taking that pipe work up up in the wall to where the noggings have been already placed that we spoke about in the last episode to then fix plumbing to to then prepare it for the next so the plumbing rough ends really water, hot and cold water. Um, and like you said, just said, the it'll be the waste for if they're having a wall-hung vanity or a, a lot of times these days um, people's washers and dryers have to be hard, hard plumbed and also fridges and uh, even some steam ovens these days. Like you, if they need to have water supply and, and some of them even have to be drained. So that's why it's so important to make those selections really early on because... If, if your house has been roughed in and come the end of the job for fit-off and you've picked a steam oven and somehow you've got to try and get a waste and a water pipe to it, it can be a big deal. So 
I find too that there can often be a surprise at this point if the homeowner hasn't had a lot of help from the designer or draftsperson in mapping out the ceiling and bulkheads and understanding where bulkheads are going to be. The plumber comes through and does their rough in for the toilet on the upper floor that then has, you know, the trap coming down below the ceiling below. That's over the middle of a living or dining space because it's been not been coordinated properly and all of a sudden you're figuring out how are you going to put a drop ceiling around that point and you know it's not just the trap that comes at the bottom of the toilet but then it's the fall of the pipework running to where it needs to exit externally yeah. so that all of that coordination of the plumbing how it physically gets situated in the house what that means to ceilings on a floor below it how that gets out of the house plumbing stacks that you might you know it's yeah that- so these days most of the plumbing is hidden in the house. Like the old days, the bathrooms were just placed anywhere and you'd run the waste pipe out through the wall and there'd be an external pipe work, but that, that's pretty old and daggy. So, look, all, all good designs and architects these days try and keep, on if there are two or three-storey homes, try and keep wet areas over the top of each other because generally if you're going to have a drop ceiling or a bulkhead, you, you'll keep it in another wet area rather than in a main living area or something. So if it is a two- or three-storey house, all, all the stack work and uh, like sewer waste pipes will all go in at this stage as well. So even even things like considering if you're going to have a, a long linear drain in your shower, like if that's... One of the lineal grates. Yeah, yeah, rather than just your little standard floor waste in the centre. And especially these days with everyone wanting large format tiles in their wet areas, th- that stuff needs to be know, known well before now because the plumber's now on site. He's, if he is in the upper level, he's now drilling holes through the floor to set up all his waste and if you want a long linear drain, nine times out of ten, they're up one end of the shower. They're not in the centre like they used to be. And then also, there's also different types of linear drain. So that pipe might need to be hard against the wall or 100 mil off the wall. So Yeah, they because those linear drains can sometimes fall to the middle or they can fall to one end. And Yeah, yeah so, so there's, yeah. there's a lot. Look it's, look, it's not their fault. They just don't know that. So that's why they need a good builder that explains them very early on why all these things need to be selected. And I think too, if they're trying to do their design process and their documentation process, you know, a lot of homeowners that I speak with inside the UA community, a lot of them are designing their homes themselves. Then they're handing that over to a draftsperson to draw up. And that draftsperson doesn't take on the role of educating necessarily all of the gaps in the documentation. They do their job to deliver the documentation as per what they're being paid to do. But they don't necessarily explain to the homeowner all of the gaps of information in between that. So, you know, that thing about they might not even say to them, have you thought about what kind of floor waste you're going to have in the bathroom? What would you like me to draw on here? They just nominally draw anything. Yeah. That then goes to the builder. The builder prices it. And it's then when the builder says, look, I'm going to need your selections. And the, the homeowner goes through and might meet with the builder's interior designer or might, you know, go to the builder's re- recommended supplier and, you know, meets with them. And this list goes back to the builder that says this is what they want. It's like, well, that wasn't on your drawings. That's not what we've allowed. And, yeah, it's that... Or, Immediately, there's this price blowout, and, and it, even like using that as a perfect example, it's such, it sounds like such a simple one, but a, a standard plastic floor waste for a shower is like twenty six bucks, twenty eight bucks. A linear strip drain will, for a good one, will start up around three hundred eighty, four hundred eighty dollars a lineal meter. Straight away, you've got an extra. Three or four hundred dollars in cost, plus extra labour, plus builder's margin. So, and it changes the way that the bedding then goes into the bathroom, yep. and the way the tiles go on. Like, there's this on-flow effect of all yep. of that decision making. So, yeah, I think electrical is one thing. 
like a lot of builders, it, it, it's just purely for cost. We'll just cut it back as low as they possibly can. But um, you brought it up before. If you don't have all your selections made and the Sparky doesn't supply enough power to your house, every time you're having a party. So what, what we advise our Sparkies to do is, um, even though it's going to cost a little bit more up front, you work on worst case scenario. And worst case scenario for us is in the middle of summer, air conditioning on and you're having a dinner party. So all your appliances are running, your air conditioning's running, your, all, every single light in the house is on. Yeah, because that's um, the least time that you want all your power to short, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, people don't get that. Like, yeah. you, you try and explain to them that, look, this is what you've got to allow for, and that they they just sort of brush it off. But I know who they'll be ringing when they're having the dinner party and they've got no power. But Yeah. So, look, a lot of things affect that. So if the Sparky's doing his job correctly, he should be working out the maximum draw that your house is going to have and then working your power supply around that. So figuring out if you need to upgrade from single phase to three phase. So it's far cheaper to do that right at the start of the job when the builder's doing all his site set up, then figure out once you've moved into the house that you need to have it upgraded. So, And I think too, if you need to have um, circuit breakers on, you know, or surge protectors on anything as well, if, you, if you're running a home office or something like that and you want to have surge protection put on yep. all of your computer equipment and that type of thing, then that all needs to be known at this point. If you're having any cable TV, what kind of internet you might be having, all of that stuff if it's all on a plan at the quoting stage, yep. then you're you know, obviously more likely to get a realistic quote for what you actually want, and then you can work from there. Your electrical can be anything from $16,000, $18,000, and who knows where. Like, you can go to 100 if you wanted to. So yeah. ideally, we ask people to write it down. Like, flick us an email with what their dreams are, and that's what we'll work on. Um, if it's over budget, then you'll have to cut things out. But on, on electrical, though... It amazes me, like people will spend all this money on plans and, and engineers and things, but they won't pay a lighting consultant. We've found that like for four to $600, you can actually get a, a proper, like most lighting shops will have someone that can do it, but you can actually pay a proper lighting consultant that will sit down, you can do all your lighting selection, they can let you know if it's dimmable or not, if it's going to work with two-way switching. So, Yeah, and there are there's even lots of lighting suppliers, so companies that supply the actual light fittings that will have consultants on staff that will do that for you for free and then prepare a quote for you of the fixtures and fittings that they've recommended. So yeah. it is, it's one of those things that people never think of early enough. It is something that needs to come in very early in the piece. People often overlook it. It's the one thing if you don't have an, if you either have too much lighting or too little lighting, it's a thing that kills like everyday experience in your home. And when it's not thought out and you're just letting the electrician place all of your, you know, <laughs> your light switches and your PowerPoints, then you end up with what I call wall acne, um, where <laughs> it is just everywhere. So it's and or it's, nowhere. There is, yeah, a, there or is nowhere. way too far apart or, or way too you know, And it's even the simple thing. Like if you've got a great big open plan kitchen, living, dining area and you've got your sofa arranged and you want a table lamp on your table beside the sofa that's in the middle of the room and you didn't think about where the PowerPoint for that table lamp was going to be, you either forego having the table lamp or you have a power cord running across the yep. floor. You know, it's it's possible to put a floor box in the slab if it goes in the slab, you know, yep. and that you can recess a floor box into that can have the PowerPoint sitting flush then with the finished floor level, yep. can sit under the side table and you don't have then an ugly cord running anywhere. So... So this like, this is really good because it's it's giving people an inside to it and it, and it's helping people understand why it's so important that all these decisions are made right back at the beginning. So it's not only so the job runs efficiently and so they're getting what they want. Obviously, it avoids variations. The quote's correct from the beginning. So again, it all goes back to that collaboration, having a team right from the beginning. 
The other one is gas. So obviously you might have a gas hot water system. You may have uh, you may want to have a gas outlet to drive your barbecue in your outdoor alfresco area. You may have a gas oven or a gas cooktop. Yeah, so, heaters. And some. gas heaters as well, yeah. that's right, or gas fireplaces. So obviously understanding whether you've got gas in your area and it's going to be able to be part of the infrastructure or whether you're going to have to have bottled gas. Having bottled gas then can you know actually limit some of your selections as well. You can't yeah. necessarily have certain and appliances and things like that driven off bottle gas in the same way that you can off underground gas. So is there anything else that you wanted to mention about? Uh, look, the only thing with gas is, like most houses will have it for hot water and cooking. That, that's pretty standard. These days, on nearly every one of our jobs, people are getting us to run a point to a barbecue or an outdoor kitchen. One thing people, I think builders should at least ask their client is, even if they want the pipe work, like pipe work for gas isn't that expensive. So you might not want a heater or a fireplace now but there might be an allocation for it on the design or it might be something that gets pulled back to get the the project to a budget it's really simple and generally for a a few hundred dollars six to eight hundred dollars you can run all the pipe work through the frame at the rough in stage so it's all there and then when you can afford it or it wants to get added in there's an external point that just has to be hooked onto and same inside you just hook it up so I think that's given everybody a really good run through of this first part of the lock up and close stage I'm glad we split it into two parts because we still haven't even got to <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna go all day, this one. the wrapping up of the uh, and the cladding or brickwork on the outside of the home so thanks very much Dwayne thanks Amelia Now, before I wrap up, let me tell you some more about QuoteSpec. So QuoteSpec is our podcast partner this season, and QuoteSpec is a cloud-based quoting app that enables builders and tradespeople to create professional, easy-to-understand quotes. And it also allows you as the homeowner to see exactly what's been included and not included, and to have confidence that you can manage your budget and your build without drama. Now, as you hit this stage of lockup or enclosed in your building or renovation project, I think you can see, you know, from listening to just part one of this process, there's loads of exciting things that are happening on site as your home really takes shape externally. And I find too that there can be, you know, lots of questions about the specific detailing of connections and materials. Lots of conversations between the homeowner and the builder about how they actually want things to look. And often it's the first time that a newbie or newbie renovator or builder, you know, that you can actually understand how your project is coming together because you've been looking at drawings or renderings and, you know, then you'll see the slab go down and you'll see the frame go up. But it's, it's not until the skin of the building, you know, gets put on that things can really take shape for you and you start to actually be able to really see what your home's going to look like. And there's also loads of selections, you know, that need to happen for this stage as well. So ideally, they've chosen, as as we've been saying time and time again in this season, these selections are made well before you've got to this point in your build. But perhaps you're still scrambling, you know, perhaps you're looking at picking roof colours and brick types and garage door colours and a front door. Or, you know, maybe your designer or you, you actually want to give the painter a set of plans to show exactly where each paint colour is going to go on the outside of your home. You know, we're talking more about that in part two of the lock-up or enclosed stage and about the importance of how to work in that process. And so, you know, maybe you want to actually give your painter some of those types of drawings. You know, all of that specific and really important information that can be stored in quote spec. So it's easy to access and to document and to keep track of. 
And you can also store photographs in QuoteSpec as well. So your builder at the point of quoting, they can actually upload a photo or an image of a product that they've included in your quote. And they say that an image can speak a thousand words. So, you know, seeing a photo can definitely help you understand exactly what an allowance might refer to so that you can be sure that you're happy with it before you commit to a contract. So homeowners, remember, ask your builder or tradesperson, do you use QuoteSpec? And if they don't, send them to this web address to find out more information about it. So it's www.quotespec.com.au forward slash undercover architect. And that's Quotespec, Q-U-O-T-E-S-P-E-C.com.au forward slash undercover architect. I really love Quotespec as a tool and a platform, and I know that you will too. Okay, next episode. Dwayne and I are going to be moving on to part two of the lockup or enclosed stage. There's still loads left to do in this stage and it can be tricky to navigate, to be clear about what's included and to make sure that your bank is willing to make payments in order for you to be able to keep construction rolling smoothly on site. So listen to the next episode for part two of the lockup or enclosed stage to get information about this. And please mention this season to any friends, family or colleagues who might be building soon. This is knowledge that can help so many homeowners have a much better experience with their renovation or new home construction. Now, I've popped all of the links for this episode into the show notes, so you can head there for more information and to get those web addresses. I'll see you next time. Bye.